my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 543. Welcome in. Hope you're doing very, very well. Um, look, I want to I want to share a personal note here to start the show. Then we'll jump in. Uh, I put a message on Patreon. I said thank you to everybody. I want to be clear. I've got an amazing job. Uh, talking about sports is incredible. And I have the perspective now of someone who has done other stuff than that. You know, I, I did HVAC for a couple months and I was in crawl spaces every day in attics when it's 90 degrees outside, putting in refrigerant lines and brazing metal and cutting sheet metal and building these transitions from like a furnace to, you know, central heating. I enjoyed it. It was tough. I got my license in a month and a half. I'm very proud of that. Um, but I have perspective and I've done other jobs and I, I want to acknowledge how great this job is and how, how lucky I am to be here. And it's not very often people get a first opportunity to do their dream job, let alone a second chance. And um, we're at the end of our first week back. Uh, it's Friday. It's the fourth show of the week. And I, I'm, I'm very grateful. I got off the phone this morning with a call. Uh, looks like we got a big sponsor for August. It'll take like, you know, three months till they pay me. But look, we're headed in a really good direction. And uh, in the meantime, I'm eating rice and spicy mayo every day, doing the best I can to just keep the lights on till we can make it till things kick in and go into gear and football season starts. But um, my gosh, it's good to be back. And we're going to talk about a really big story today of a, a guy who got a second chance. And when he got his opportunity, he took it, he ran with it, did the best he possibly could. And... I'm trying to do the same thing. I want to build a really cool thing here. Um, I I love this show. I believe in it. I love what I do. And I would like to this time, hopefully, I, I think we're a ways away still from getting to this point, but I want to hire an editor and hire a producer and have someone else maybe sit in the show or at least edit the show. And I want to build a team and working in HVAC and, you know, it was me and my partner every day, we'd Ride around our truck in Portland, Oregon, going to different mansions in Lake Oswego and Tigard, Oregon, and Hillsboro by Intel. And I liked having a partner. I liked having someone I worked with. And then some days we'd have, you know, a couple crews on a job. And it's fun to work in a team. And I'm like, I want that environment, but I want to do it my way, the way I want to do it. And, um, you know, I want to give a special shout out to Able Heating and Cooling in, in Tigard, Oregon. What a great company. Javier, the guy who runs that place, is the man. And... Uh, when I was in a low place in life, they really, really helped me. So shout out to Able Heating and Cooling if you're in Portland. Like, I I worked there. They taught me everything. I swear to you, I've taken out a lot of people's really bad furnace installs or really bad air conditioning installs. Uh, they're the best company in the Portland area. And I, I don't know. It's a day of reflection. Well, let's talk about sports now. But, you know, again, I, I'm really glad that the show has come out. We're episode four of the week, fourth episode back. And uh, it's been a really warm welcome, and a lot of people are listening. It's really going well, um, and I'm, I'm very, very grateful for that. I'm, I'm so thankful, and I don't take this second chance lightly. You know, I'm going to do everything I can to do what uh, a player we're going to talk about in a little bit has done with his second chance, and uh, I don't know. I just want to say thank you. Now, you can support the show at patreon.com slash Zach Shomler, patreon.com slash Zach Shomler. I want to start today with a Patreon question because my lead story is about Detroit. An Optimistic Cyclones fan wrote in on Patreon. The really good question that kind of leads right into what I was going to talk about anyway. So Optimistic Cyclones fan says this. I was quite shocked to see the Detroit Lions take a running back in the first round, much less the top 12. I didn't care that the Falcons did they're bad and can do whatever they want. But the Lions, I thought, were in win-now mode. They still are, but it seems like such a waste of a pick for the value. Trading your most successful franchise quarterback, Matthew Stafford, and getting a top-six pick in return, and instead of taking a franchise-changing player, like a lockdown corner, a defensive tackle, or cough cough, you know, Brian Branch, they take the most devalued position in football, a running back. Overall, their draft class was solid, but where they pick some players is dumbfounding. Maybe Jameer Gibbs excelled beyond expectation. But he's running back number two behind David Montgomery. They must plan on using him as a receiver rather than just a running back to justify taking him that high. You don't have to take a backup in the first round. What say you? Sorry, you don't take a backup in the first round is what 
optimistic says there. So the Atlanta Falcons drafted a running back, number eight overall, Bijan Robinson out of Texas. And Atlanta, so Atlanta did that. That's the Falcons. And Detroit drafted a running back, Jameer Gibbs, number 12 overall out of Alabama. The question is, did Atlanta and Detroit make a mistake drafting running backs in the first round? And my first reaction was, this is a terrible idea. It's bad value. Why would you do that? Um, You know, we've seen running backs get drafted way later in the draft and be a success as rookies. Gosh, what's the name? of? I'm blanking on the name of the guy in Jacksonville who's an undrafted free agent and killed it and was like their starting running back. You don't need to spend a first-round pick on a quarterback. Although, um, I'm glad I didn't talk about this the minute it first happened. Because as I've sat on it and I've thought about it, it's still a risk. Um, Detroit especially is really opening themselves up to harsh criticism by doing a doing something, drafting a running back in the first round that is just not common practice anymore and is widely understood to be usually a mistake. Now, I Atlanta drafting B. John Robinson, number eight overall, I, I really can live with that. That's okay because they are going to run their entire offense through that number eight overall pick, B. John Robinson. They're going to run, they're going to run, they're going to run. Atlanta is going to pound the football all day long. I mean, they're just going to run like crazy and, you know, that's how they win. That's their entire offense. When you're that invested in the running game, I I I understand. You're like, hey, we got to build an offense around our running back. Let's draft the best running back we can. That's what Atlanta did. I can I can live with that. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. I'm not the biggest fan of Arthur Smith, but we have different philosophies, and I can just acknowledge, hey, he's got his style. I've got mine. Let's see what happens. But it is a big investment to spend a first-round pick on a quarterback, especially when you're passing on Jackson Smith and Jigma, and Jigba, a really good receiver. You're passing on Jordan Addison, a really good receiver. Also, the Detroit Lions traded away their running back, DeAndre Smith, to Philadelphia. A move that, man, it seems like Philadelphia got just another great player. Like, wow, the Eagles are even better. Like, how, how did they get another basically starting running back? Here is what the Detroit Lions did in the draft. They drafted... Running back Jameer Gibbs out of Alabama, number 12 overall. They drafted number 18 overall, a linebacker out of Iowa, Jack Campbell. And in the second round, they drafted Sam Laporta, a tight end out of Iowa. So two Iowa players and a running back. Tight end, linebacker, running back. First three picks. They also drafted Hendon Hooker, quarterback out of Tennessee in the third round. Kind of weird when you got a franchise quarterback. You know, it's, it's hard to... They, they, Detroit made moves in the draft I would not have made. But again, I said this before, I'll say it again. I am really, really glad I wasn't making content in April about the draft because I would have slammed them. I would have come down really hard. I would have been probably um, just, just really unkind and, and really said some stuff. And look, sometimes you have to, you can be honest with, out being unkind, but I, I think I would have just made fun of them constantly, and I don't think that's deserved here. I am really, really trying to trust the Lions general manager, Brad Holmes. I'm, I'm trying to believe that he's got a plan, he's got a vision, and he knows what he's doing. I desperately want to see the Detroit Lions win. That's, that's everything I'm about to say here is coming from a place of I want to see Detroit win. I want to see them do well. I think they're close to doing that. They were a team last year that was hard to beat. Like, I've said this before. It's kind of a a cliche line at this point when I talk about the Lions. But they were a team that when you saw them on your schedule, you were no longer able to say, hey, we're playing Detroit this week. Easy win. Hallelujah. Let's just take the week off. No, no. Now it's like, hey, um, Detroit, they're going to punch in the mouth. They're going to make it really hard, and they might even beat you. If you're not careful, if you slip up, they're going to challenge you and maybe beat you. And, you know, I think they've got a really great offensive line in Detroit. Like a really, really good line that's going to move move defenders and create really good running lanes. They're going to win with power football. They've got Dan Campbell as coach I love. They kept their offensive coordinator, uh, Coach Dan Casey, a guy I love 
He's a high school football coach in Texas, makes amazing, amazing football content. He posted something, an interview with a guy, the offensive coordinator in in Detroit, saying, look, I could have left for head coaching opportunities and interviewed, but ultimately, why ruin a good thing? I'm here to stay. I love working with Dan Campbell. I love going to my job every day. I'm going to stay here in Detroit. I think that's awesome. Self-aware. And I look at Jameer Gibbs. He might be Alvin Kamara. He might be. I mean, he's a receiving receiving running back who can make a lot of plays out of the backfield, give him swing routes. He can make defenders miss. He's so fast. Jameer Gibbs is unbelievably fast. Like two steps and he's at full speed. And you're like, oh, okay. Good luck tackling him. He can run with power. He's got such a strong lower body. Like he runs through arm tackles like crazy. He's Alvin Kamara, I think. I think he's going to end up being a really, really good running back. I don't know how long he's going to last. Running backs in the NFL, they last three or four years, and then they're kind of, you know, their their tire shreds all worn out. But let's acknowledge, hey, week one for the Lions this year, Jameer Gibbs, David Montgomery, that's a really good one-two punch at running back, one of the best in the NFL. Got a bunch of really good receivers, Amon Ross St. Brown, Josh Reynolds, Marvin Jones. Jamison Williams is suspended for six games for gambling. That sucks. I thought what the Lions were going to do in the draft was make their defense better and draft a receiver to support their quarterback, Jared Goff. Again, they could have drafted Jordan Addison. They could have drafted Jackson Smith and Jigba. But they drafted a running back. Maybe some of the philosophies, hey, we're not just trying to win in Detroit in our dome early in the year. We want to win games in cold weather, and we want to win by pounding the rock and make it physically difficult to play against us. I'm hopeful. Uh, I really believe Jared Goff is a better quarterback. The Lions quarterback is better than he gets credit for. He kind of got clowned on. We got traded away from L.A. to Detroit. You know, he leaves L.A. The Rams get Matthew Stafford. They win a Super Bowl. The immediate thought is Matthew Stafford's really good. Jared Goff is garbage. I don't think that's true or fair. And I also think that Jared Goff's going to be a different quarterback this year than he was last year, than he was four years ago. He's just getting better and better and better and incrementally better. He throws a beautiful ball and they're building a good team around him in Detroit. But man, drafting a running back, it's a really risky move. Drafting him in the first round is a risky move. Excuse me. You're opening yourself up. If it goes wrong, you're going to get made fun of. And it's not great. But I'm trying to approach this with humility and say, look, Brad Holmes is an NFL general manager for a reason. He's made a lot of good moves up until this point. His plan might be different than the plan I would have had in Detroit. But it doesn't mean it's not going to work. It doesn't mean it's not a plan that could succeed. I don't want to figure out how to tackle Jameer Gibbs. They're going to run the ball well. They're going to use a lot of play action. I am intrigued. I'm optimistic and hopeful. I'm not going to guarantee success, nothing like that. But when it comes to talking about the Lions drafting Jameer Gibbs, number 12 overall, I I probably would have made fun of them in April, and I'm glad I didn't, because the more I think about it, the more I go, you know, this could really work. They're going to run the ball well. they got a great running back for a couple years. They're, you know, like, let's see what happens. I think there's a chance the Lions win their division this year. And I just am trying to have an open mind and and trust that Brad Holmes and the Lions organization, it's so funny to say that, it's so funny to say that, that they know what they're doing and they they know better than me. Oh, you know, but you can't judge them on the Lions of old. This is a different Lions organization run by different people with different players and different decision makers. And I, I am just trying to believe that the Lions are different. Detroit's a different organization through and through, and these are not terrible moves made by dumb people. These are moves that are made intentionally with thought process and design. And, man, I've got an open mind. I'm really trying with Detroit. I want to see them win so badly. When when Atlanta drafted a quarterback in the first, drafted a running back in the first round, I went, that makes sense. I don't love that, but it fits in with their philosophy. What Atlanta's trying to do running the football, like 12 plays a drive. Of course, they're going to draft a running back in the first round. When Detroit did it, I was like, oh, not what I would have done. But he is a great player. 
I mean, Jameer Gibbs is admittedly going to be a really good running back, I believe. He's dangerous. And he's the kind of guy you throw him a check down and make him man miss and run for like 40 yards. I mean, he really is going to be really difficult to tackle in the NFL. And I've just, I've got an open mind. Let's see what happens for the Lions. I, I am trying to be positive here and believe. It takes a lot of faith for me because I've made fun of people drafting running backs a lot in the first round. I've said that's a terrible move. It's a bad decision. But you know what? Um, let's see what happens in Detroit. There's a chance they're going to be... I, I, I desperately want to see the Lions go from a team that's you know, hard to beat to winning consistently. And oh man, oh man, I am, I'm not a Lions fan. I don't have a favorite NFL team. Thank goodness that sounds really painful. Can you imagine being a Lions fan for years? But I'm a borderline Lions fan, man. I, I, you know, I just, they're a story and a team and a city that's really compelling. I remember a couple of years ago, the Cleveland Browns were absolutely horrible. And I was like, you know, I just, they're the little engine that could. You root for the underdog. You want to see them win. You want to see them do well. They drafted Baker Mayfield. They made the playoffs. It was awesome. I was like, sweet. Okay. Hallelujah. They, they, they have done it, and, and then emotionally, I was like, I don't, I don't really care about the Browns anymore. You got rid of Baker Mayfield. You, you already won your playoff game. You, you used all the emotional energy I had for you. Then you made the move for Deshaun Watson. Now I really don't want to support the Cleveland Browns. So my emotional energy to cheer for the Browns is totally gone. But there's still one more. You know, there's a couple organizations in football that have been bad basically my entire life. It was the Browns. The Lions have been awful. And, you know, the Jets had a brief couple years where they made the playoffs, but the Jets have been pretty bad. It's been a pretty miserable experience for a Jets fan. The Rex Ryan era, Mark Sanchez got to the AFC title twice. But all in all, it's been pretty horrible for the Jets. And this year, there's a chance that the Jets and the Lions, too, historically, or at least in the last 20 years, have been mostly horrible. The Jets and the Lions have a shot to be good this year. And that really, really excites me and makes me happy. They are the underdogs, the little engine that could, and I so badly want to see them win and do well. All right. Um, so I, I talked in the opening of the show that um, I'm, I'm really grateful to have a second chance doing this show. People are supporting it. People are watching it. People are listening. And I, I am really trying to take this second chance and run with it as far as humanly possible. Hopefully I talk about sports professionally for the rest of my life. I have a good career. I'm happy and it's all good. That, that kind of comes from an admiration for Geno Smith. I really, really, really am still amazed by the story that we saw unfold last football season in Seattle with Geno Smith, the starting quarterback in Seattle. The NFL gave up on Geno Smith. He wasn't viewed as a franchise quarterback. He wasn't going to succeed in the NFL. He was a backup, a career backup. He was once a second-round pick who got a shot, started for a little while, was mediocre, and got cast aside. But Geno Smith needed an opportunity, and when he got it once again, years later, he's run with it and did really well. He's now got a big contract. He signed a three-year, $75 million deal, $40 million guaranteed this offseason. That kind of story I can get behind. And I want to tell you the full story here. So Geno Smith is a second-round pick for the New York Jets. And, I mean, he even beat the Patriots his rookie year. That was a big deal. He beat Bill Belichick and the Patriots in overtime his rookie year. And it was like, whoa, okay. Hey, Geno, baby, let's go. But he didn't stick. He didn't last as the starting quarterback in New York for the Jets. In fact, he lost his job to Ryan Fitzpatrick. Fitz magic, baby! Actually, what, what really happened is that Geno Smith got punched by a teammate, which is a bad look. When you're starting quarterback and the leader of your football team gets punched in the jaw by a defensive lineman, breaking Geno Smith's job, by the way. Geno Smith was out six to ten weeks, lost his job, it's a bad look all around. You're like, oh, this guy, what, what's going on in the locker room that his own teammates are punching him? Now, the story behind the scenes is that 
Geno Smith had someone, uh, this defensive lineman, bought him a $600 plane ticket to fly to a football camp. I don't know the details of the football camp. I would imagine said defensive lineman was putting on a, a football camp, wanted his starting quarterback to be there, said, hey, we got this guy coming. Probably told his, everyone has hometown. We, hey, Geno's coming. This is all speculation at this point. I don't know what happened. But I would assume his feelings are hurt. Hey, I paid for you to come. I thought you were coming to this football camp. You didn't come. I want my money back at minimum. But I think this lineman was offended, felt screwed over, and he was arguing with Gino saying, I want my $600 back. The reason why Gino didn't go was because a personal friend had died. That's the official story. Who knows what was going on behind the scenes? But it seemed like an, a, just a, a miscommunication, a lot of bad stuff going on. This defensive lineman, I'm not saying his name intentionally. It doesn't matter, and it, it doesn't add to the story. This is about Gino. Was mad, wanted, $600, wanted his $600 back. He punches Gino in the face, you know, breaks his jaw. Gino's out for 10 weeks. And given that at the time, Gino Smith was been, he'd been pretty mediocre as a starting quarterback. It made him look bad as a leader and a quarterback. And then Ryan Fitzpatrick comes off the bench and plays incredible as the Jets starting quarterback filling in. Gino's done. Bad leader. Wasn't playing great. He's out. Cast aside, no longer a starting quarterback. Take him out of the starting quarterback pile and put him into the backup quarterback pile. He's no longer viewed as a starter. So Gino was with the Jets for four years. Then he spent a year as the Giants backup. Then a year as the backup with the Chargers. Then he spent four years backing up Russell Wilson in Seattle. It's a lot of time on the bench, a lot of time to think, a lot of time to sit, a lot of time to learn. In Geno Smith's fifth year with the Seattle Seahawks, Russell Wilson got traded away that offseason leading up to that. And leading up to Geno's fifth year with Seattle, they said, you know what? We're not going to trade for Baker Mayfield. We're not going to make any crazy moves. We're not going to go get Carson Wentz. We are going to commit to Geno Smith. Uh, what a move at the time that seemed insane. What are you doing? Geno Smith. Do you mean the guy who failed as a backup in New York, who got punched by his teammate, who wasn't a good leader? Why would you make this guy your starting quarterback? That's not going to work. Is Seattle tanking? Those are all some of the things I said leading up to last fall. Guess what happened? Geno Smith got a second chance, got another opportunity, threw for over 4,000 yards, passing 30 touchdown passes, 11 interceptions. Seattle went 9-8. and eight. They made the playoffs, and Seattle won while their former quarterback, Russell Wilson, lost, and Geno played way, way better than Russell Wilson. It was vindication. It was awesome. And to see a guy, Geno Smith, Take that opportunity and do so well made me really happy. Now he's 32 years old. Gino has a three-year, $75 million contract. I'm happy for him. That's the story of a man getting a second chance and really, really doing everything he could to maximize that opportunity. Oh, look, he, he got paid. He's got $40 million guaranteed. Uh... So I'm happy for him. I hope he plays well this fall. I think he will. But it's, it's the story to me that I go, ah, oh, it's a guy who took care of business, got paid, and, man, I, I, I hope he continues to succeed. Fly high, Geno Smith. I'm rooting for you. What an awesome story. And uh, it's just cool to see a guy succeed getting a second chance. I really, really love that. All right. Um, I built a list of college quarterbacks I'm excited to watch. This fall, I'm actually not going to talk about them today because it was massive. <laughs> I was like, uh, I could spend an hour talking about this, and I think I will sometime. So I'm going to make that its own episode at some point. All the quarterbacks, I mean, it's it's so many. I, I, when I started writing it out on paper, I'm like, oh my gosh, there are so many quarterbacks I am interested in watching this fall. They're not all like K.J. Jefferson, the quarterback at Arkansas. Probably not. An NFL quarterback? Maybe he's an NFL tight end. Maybe he's a Canadian Football League quarterback. 
Talia, Talia, uh, Talia Tungavaloa, quarterback at Maryland, to his little brother. Is he an NFL quarterback? I don't know. He could definitely probably play in Canada. He's a fringe USFL, NFL guy. Although, maybe he blows me away and plays well this fall. So it's, it's not just the guys who have NFL potential. It's other quarterbacks who are just going to be interesting and fun to watch. There's like 30 of them. So let's just do that another day. I want to make that its own special episode. We'll do probably a, like a meaty topic about college quarterbacks, and we'll do some Patreon questions sometime next week and call that an episode. But I don't, I don't feel the need to talk for an hour right now about all the quarterbacks I'm excited to watch this fall in college football. Instead, I want to tell you about Andre Johnson. Andre Johnson was in the NFL for 14 years. 12 of those years he played in Houston. I am a really, really big fan of Andre Johnson. It's kind of a silly thing. I don't mean to... I don't want to cheapen this topic by talking about the video game Madden. But I play Madden 11. I I am stuck in the past. I hate the new Madden games. Madden 11 is the best Madden of all time. Um, I've got a brand new place, you know, Xbox or 60, brand new, meaning it's like, you know... I bought it when it was new when I was in high school, and I I boxed it up and kept it in Tupperware, literally, and I only took it out to play Madden 11. The entire existence of this console was so I could play Madden 11 and Banjo-Kazooie. And when I'm done with Madden 11, I put it away, And because I don't know if you know this, you can't go buy Madden 11 today and play it. It's not available on PC. There's no backwards compatibility. The only way to play it is if you have a disc and a system to run it. So I got three PlayStation 3s and an Xbox 360 dedicated. That's how much I love Madden 11. Those are, they exist so I can play Madden 11. That's it. And then like Infamous and Ratchet and Clank. In Madden 11, my go-to receiver is always Andre Johnson. He's incredible. Now, Madden is not real life, but I was playing Madden. and I was like, you know, I should talk about Andre Johnson, how amazing he was and, and why he's related to a player that's playing currently. So, 12 years in Houston, Andre Johnson was the best player playing for that organization. 12 years in Houston, here are some of the quarterbacks that Andre Johnson had throwing to him. David Carr, Sage Rosenfelds, TJ Yates, Tony Banks, Case Keenum, Matt Schaub, a name I've never heard of, I saw it written on a list, David Ragoni? Ragone? I don't know how to... I've never even heard of that guy. Ryan Mallett. May he rest in peace. He recently drowned in the ocean. Be careful. I swim in the ocean every day. Be safe in the ocean. Ryan Mallett, strongest arm I've ever seen. Ryan Fitzpatrick also played with Andre Johnson. So, 12 years in Houston, Andre Johnson had like one good quarterback ever. Matt, Matt Schaub, who was good for like a brief window of time. Matt Schaub went to a Pro Bowl in 2009 and 2012. The best quarterback Andre Johnson ever played with was Matt Schaub. That, that's a really, really terrifying and, and sad thing to be able to say out loud. It's a sad reality. In my opinion, he's a Hall of Fame receiver easily. He's amazing. Massively underappreciated. No drama. He worked hard. Best player on the field all all times. I have so much respect for Larry, for Andre Johnson. I was going to bring up Larry Fitzgerald. Even Larry Fitzgerald, he never really had a great quarterback. At least he played with Kurt Warner at the end for a brief period. Jerry Rice played with Joe Montana and Steve Young. Why Why does Jerry Rice have the best stats of all time? He worked hard. He's amazing. He really prepared. But he also had a lot of help from the quarterback position. Randy Moss got to play with Tom Brady. Like, you can go down the list. All the receivers at the top, all the best receivers in NFL history statistically. Played with amazing, amazing quarterbacks. Andre Johnson never did. And in 14 years as an NFL receiver, one of them he really tailed off at the end is last year he played in Tennessee, year 14. He played like nine games. It's hard to count that, but I'm going to. 14 years in the NFL. Andre Johnson had over 14,000 receiving yards. He averaged over 1,000 yards a year. 70 touchdown catches. 
and over 1,000 catches total. Can you imagine if Andre Johnson had a great quarterback? By the way, a guy who, like I said, kept his head down, kept his mouth shut. He worked hard. He was a good soldier. And he never really got a great quarterback. It's, it's so, so sad. So Andre Johnson, even, even Calvin Johnson, they're not related, but Calvin Johnson in Detroit, even he got to play with at least Matthew Stafford. Andre Johnson never did. And this is why Andre Johnson is a, a warning signal to other receivers. Go play with a good quarterback. The spotlight right now was on DeAndre Hopkins. He got released from Arizona. He's a similar receiver that there's no drama. He works hard, he does his job, and he's unbelievable. I want to see DeAndre Hopkins play with a really, really good quarterback for the rest of his career. I don't care if it's Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen. I don't name anybody. I don't care. But all I'm asking is, hey, DeAndre Hopkins, go get a really good quarterback. I just, I just want to see, like, you made your money. You've done well. Take, take a tiny amount of money. Go play with Patrick Mahomes, dude. Go win. Go have fun. I'm sure they'll find a way to make it work financially. But I really, really want to see DeAndre Hopkins go somewhere with a top five elite quarterback. That would make me so, so happy. And I'm now going to check my phone to make sure that in the last 10 minutes while I've been talking about it, he didn't sign somewhere. Let's look up DeAndre Hopkins. We're still waiting, I believe. But, um, no, we're still waiting. We are still waiting. He's just talking about, I'll retire when I'm 37. I'm playing great. I'm really curious where DeAndre Hopkins goes, and I want to see him play with a really, really good quarterback. For the love of God, please. Now, um, on July 11th, the NFL is having its first supplemental draft since 2019. Two players were granted eligibility for the NFL supplemental draft. Uh, it's a thing that hasn't happened since 2019. And the way it works is you got to apply with the NFL and the NFL has to say, yes, you can be a part of the supplemental draft. The two players eligible in the supplemental draft, July 11th, are, which that's a, it's a next Tuesday, six foot five receiver Malachi Weidman from Jackson State, former receiver at Tennessee, transferred to Jackson State, played for Deion Sanders, and receiver Milton Wright from Purdue. Uh, Milton Wright left Purdue in May 2022 when he got uh, when he became academically ineligible. And Milton Wright is the kind of person the supplemental draft is for. Someone who was ruled ineligible after the draft had already happened in April. So you, you missed the draft, but now college football is saying, hey, you can't play with us either. We, so the player's got nowhere to go. You file a petition, and if you got three years out of high school, and the NFL basically likes you, it's very subjective, they will grant you eligibility to apply for the NFL Supplemental Draft. Now, the way it works, there are three tiers of teams that can try to draft players in the Supplemental Draft. The teams that get the first opportunity to draft players are teams that did not make the playoffs last year and had six or fewer wins, so really bad football teams. If they pass through those that, that tier, that filter... The next teams that get an opportunity to go get a player are teams that did not make the playoffs but won more than six games. Teams like, oh, what's a team that was really close? I, I don't want to, I, I shouldn't have even, I, I, why did I put myself in this position? I saw it this morning. I'm blanking on the name. It doesn't matter. If you won more than six games and you didn't make the playoffs, then you get the second opportunity at the players. And then you have playoff teams. That's who gets the last shot if no one else wants them. The teams that won the playoff made the playoffs can make an opportunity and make an offer to go to go get one of these young players. So you make a blind submission. You submit the highest round draft pick you're willing to give up. So if you submit, hey, we'll take Milton Wright for a fifth round pick. You get Milton Wright, but you lose your fifth round pick in the next upcoming draft in April 2024. 
So you're spending a future draft pick to go get one of these players. That's how it works. If the players go undrafted, then they're free to sign with whatever NFL team they want to. I really think Malachi Weidman, in particular, there's some potential there. Like, he's six foot five. He's a playmaker. He's just got, he's a stud, and I want to see what he can do. The place I want to see Malachi Weidman go is Pittsburgh. The Steelers are so good at developing young receivers. They take young, talented guys and mold them into star receivers. We've seen it over and over and over again. And I think Malachi Weidman fits in really, really well there. I want to see them develop and turn him into a stud. That's the, you know, Milton Wright, we'll see. It's fine. Malachi Weidman, that's the guy. Played at Jackson State. Super, super athletically gifted. He gets good coaching. He could work out really, really well. I want to see what happens with Malachi Weidman in the NFL Supplemental Draft on Tuesday, July 11th. All right, guys, let's do some Patreon questions. I got to drink some water. I'm really hungry, I'm realizing. I, uh, I, you know, I didn't eat, did I? I woke up, had a, a call, had a couple pretzels. That doesn't really count. I usually try to have a small meal before I record. Didn't do it today. Dang. And usually my meal is I, I heat up rice. I, I make rice in the, the rice cooker every night. Then I put it in the fridge and I, I take it out. I heat it up in a little bowl, put some spicy mayo on top. Amazing meal. It's great. It's cheap. It's like 10 bucks for a 15-pound bag of rice here in Hawaii. You don't want to save money. That's what you do. And I, I am thinking about food. My mouth is thinking about food. I'm thinking about food. I should have ate before I recorded. I didn't. What a mistake. I'm potentially interviewing a really big um, figure, maybe, in the and not necessarily in the sports world, but it's going to be on this show. If, you know, we, we've been emailing and if if he comes on, he's someone who travels for a living. And I want to ask him where his favorite cities to eat are. I think that'd be really interesting. Hey, BS, what, what are your favorite cities to eat? And that'd be kind of cool. BS is like a tease. See if you get who that is. Um, so the Raw Prospect podcast writes in on Patreon and says, remember, patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. If you submit questions to the show, I do not guarantee to read your questions, but I do guarantee I look at every single question with my eyeballs and it really helps. Look, please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. It's a dollar a month. Goes a long way to help and keep the lights on and keep everything going and keep the podcast up and running. We need to make it a couple more months until sponsorship money kicks in. And then, man, you can can't, for all I care, you can cancel your Patreon subscription. Please don't. I like the money and I love being able to read Patreon questions, but we got to make it to like September, like October, basically. So, hey, if you, if you make, if you support me through October and then you bail, great. And, and just know when I start reading ad reads for big companies, I'm not getting paid for 90 days. So, we got to keep the lights on until then. I am being very transparent. Please support me on Patreon. <laughs> um, Raw Prospect Podcast says, Hey, Zach, glad you're back, man. My question is about the Atlanta Falcons. If you look at their roster, there's a reason to believe they'll have a top three running game in football and a drastically improved defense, which naturally points the finger straight to Desmond Ritter. What do you think are realistic expectations for him this year? In my opinion, his ceiling is around Alex Smith, and his floor is probably a lower-end starter. I think he kind of hit that nail right on the head. Um, Alex Smith is a great comparison. Even he could run a little bit. Um, if, if Desmond Ritter played as well as Alex Smith, I think that Arthur Smith, <laughs> uh, not related, but he is the Falcons head coach, I think Arthur Smith would be very, very happy, actually. Arthur Smith doesn't really trust his quarterbacks, in my opinion. I, I don't like how he coaches quarterbacks. What he needs from Desmond Ritter is to not make big mistakes. Don't have any crazy interceptions. Don't turn over the football. Play clean. Execute. Take easy completions when they're there. You know, if you're on a bootleg and the check and the chip route is open, throw the chip route every single time. Desmond Ritter doesn't need to have a ton of crazy highlight plays. Atlanta's going to run the football a ton. Their entire offense is going to revolve around their running game. 
You just got to execute. And I think that's a realistic expectation. That's part of why I feel like Desmond Ritter can work out is because I think he's kind of a, he's probably like a Matt Ryan, Kirk Cousins level quarterback who can run, which is actually really intriguing because he can run the zone read. You get him on the perimeter running a bootleg, he can run downfield. I don't know how good his coaching is going to be. That's my concern, but potential is, is there. And because I don't think they're going to ask him to do a lot, he doesn't need to be Patrick Mahomes. He doesn't need to be Josh Allen. He's not, by the way. He's got an average arm, but he's fairly accurate. And, I mean, throws the ball way better than I do. He can run. And I think they're not going to ask a lot of him, which makes success for Desmond Ritter is very, very achievable. And it gives me confidence. Like, okay, they're asking him to do reasonable stuff. And I, I think he can do it. And it's weird because I don't like Arthur Smith, but you know, I'd like to believe they're going to put him in a position to succeed. And so, yeah, I think Desmond Ritter can work out totally fine in Atlanta. And uh, he'll never be a top five quarterback. But as long as he's playing for Arthur Smith and they're running the football 100,000 times a game, <laughs> he doesn't need to. And so it's reasonable. I'm, I'm actually very optimistic. And what's really cool about where Desmond Ritter is, how young he is, I, everything I say now applies to him this year, this fall. But four years from now, with a bunch, a bunch of experience and time to learn, he could become a playmaking quarterback who you trust and makes a lot of big-time throws. And I, I think he's got to start this year, do okay, survive, get through it, execute, do the best you can. And once you get going, then you can make tweaks. You can do little things to get better and improve. And if Jalen Hurts is any example, a quarterback who got way, 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 way better as the years have gone on, meaning there's an example. We know quarterbacks can improve. What they are today does not mean they have to be that way forever. Desmond Ritter could be a different quarterback five years from now than he is this year, but he's got to get through this year. He's got to solidify his position as a starting quarterback in the NFL. Then we can get cute and worry about how good he can be and what his potential can be. Let's just see him play well first. But I, I don't think there's an unreasonable expectation for Desmond Ritter. Take care of the football, play clean, manage the game, run the offense at a high level, meaning you hand off the ball like a thousand times and throw some checkdowns and you know, throw the ball on time and don't throw bad picks. I mean, that's not a crazy amount of things to ask from your young quarterback. And once he's, you know, planted himself firmly in the ground, then he can get better and then the sky's the limit. So I like Desmond Ritter. He's awesome and uh, like a, a good person to root for. I mean, like an easy person to like. And I feel like it's going to be okay. Maybe that's the, the theme of today's episode. It's going to be okay. <laughs> Like, yeah, and okay is exactly what Desmond Ritter needs to be. Did the Lions do the right thing drafting a running back? I don't know, but I'm hoping it's going to be okay. <laughs> uh, Josh writes in, Josh says, Hi, Zach's eyeballs and other face orifices, peripherals. I love that. Please get, when you're introducing, you know, the question or the write-in, get as creative as you want. I want to have fun with that. First of all, I found strong opinion sports during the pandemic, like a lot of people have, and I want to emphasize how great your content is and how it stands out from the rest of the sports media. Even saying Jalen Hurts is the eighth best quarterback is a breath of fresh air, and actually a strong opinion, when the rest of the media seems to regurgitate the same thoughts and views throughout the entire offseason. Anyways, my question today is about Tua and whether or not he's actually injury prone. The sports world is quick to say the Dolphins would be a contender if only Tua could stay healthy. From my point of view, the two concussions he had last year weren't his fault. I encourage people to watch these replays because both times the defender slammed his head against the ground while sacking him. That could have happened to Patrick Mahomes or literally any other quarterback, and Tua couldn't have done anything to prevent these hits. In my opinion, nothing about that makes the guy, quote, injury prone. Other sports injuries, like a torn ACL or a broken bone, would require a year minimum to recover from. In my eyes, there's absolutely nothing indicating Tua is less than 100% this upcoming year or that he'll get hurt again. 
Do you agree this could be a blown, an overblown sports take? Josh, I, I actually really disagree with you, but I'm going to do it hopefully in a way you can hear and listen to and understand where I'm coming from. Um, first of all, let, let's be clear. The, the idea that if only Tua could stay healthy, the, the Dolphins would win. I mean, like I guess we saw Teddy Bridgewater play for Miami last year. They got rid of him for a reason. If Tua gets hurt this year, I think Miami's still going to win. They got Mike White, their backup quarterback. They've got a lot of weapons in Miami. And Tua is accurate, throws the ball on time, I guess. But let's not pretend that if Justin Herbert was the quarterback quarterback in Miami, they wouldn't have been making a deep playoff run last year. Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Kirk Cousins probably would do really, really well in Miami's offense. Probably Derek Carr as well. Tua's got a really good coach, really good receivers around him, a great offensive system. That's part of why Tua wins. It's not just Tua being good. It's like, and no, Miami's setting him up to succeed, and I think a lot of quarterbacks could succeed in that system. Now, here is why I think Tua is injury-prone, whatever that means. It's not like his bones are brittle. Oh, your, your ligaments are literally weaker than the next guy. No, it's not that. The reason why Tua gets hurt, and I, I say this with a lot of love, I only own one NFL jersey at all, ever, my entire lifetime. The only NFL, NFL jersey I own is a Tua Tungavaloa jersey. I love him. I love his family. I love that he's Hawaiian. Amazing dude. But I got to remove my emotional bias and say that Tua does not play in a way that protects his body. He's not very conscious of not taking hits, and it drives me nuts to watch. He holds onto the ball way too long. He does not slide when running. Hey, when you're extending a play and defenders are closing in, throw the ball away. Get rid of it. You're left-handed. Throw it. Throw it away. Walk away from the play. It's dead. Move on. Live to see another down. That's how I got hurt at Alabama. That's how he's got hurt a lot in the NFL. Holding on to the ball too long. Um, you got to slide, get down, do not take a hit unnecessarily. And you got to get your protections right. Sometimes when a quarterback gets sacked, this is something that a lot of people don't understand. And I don't, I don't blame you, Josh, for not knowing this. It's your job as the quarterback to call the protections up front. You're reading where the Mike linebacker is. You're reading how, the, how things are set up and going, okay, we're going to adjust protection based on what we're seeing up front from the defense. So you got to make the right call as a quarterback and get your offensive line in a position to properly block for you. And also understand the concept well enough to know, hey, in theory, we've got a that stand-up linebacker is technically our, our our edge rusher. In theory, we can block him, but you gotta understand the weakness of your protection and say, I still gotta be aware of that guy. I know we've got it blocked. I made the right call, and, and maybe the only one given the front we're seeing. But that guy hanging out there, he's a risk. I'm I'm depending on my right tackle to make it all the way out to him and see him. And my running back to help chip with them. And if either of them miss, I'm I'm screwed. So you got to be aware of who's coming after you and the weakness of your protection. Tua's done that poorly in his career. Not great with protections. He doesn't slide. He holds onto the ball too long. Doesn't throw it away. Tua plays in a way that puts himself in harm's way. It's not that Tua's ligaments are weaker or like his body is frail. It's that the dude gets rocked and takes unnecessary hits and they add up. They pile up on a quarterback. And unlike a running back, when you're, this is a, I don't know how to say this. When you're a quarterback in the pocket, you're, you're kind of just really in harm's way. When you're running downfield, I know running backs get hit more and their bodies, they get worn down. But something about moving and and being in an athletic position helps too. When you're just a sitting duck back there, you get leveled. So you got to be aware where defenders are. And Tua doesn't play the quarterback position in a way that protects his body. Does that make sense, Josh? So that's why I think Tua is, quote, injury prone. It's not that his body's weak or frail. It's that he doesn't take care of himself. 
and do things he could do to avoid hits better. All right. Um, Carter writes in. Carter says, let's go. I love you, Carter. Thank you, man. I just came up with a, I feel like I did that so cringy. I'm sorry. I, like I didn't, it's let's go with like 12 O's and I'm, I don't know. I, I probably should have got up a little more like, let's go. I, I don't know. I, I, I regret how I read that. I'm not going to try it again, <laughs> but I could have been better. I, I want to acknowledge with you and the audience. I, I could have done that better. I'm sorry. Carter says, I just came up with a question last night and was so sad there was no SOS. So this is clutch. I was watching the NBA Finals and there was a bad call on the Nuggets that didn't end up mattering, but it made me realize something. While I typically prescribe to, quote, if it comes down to the ref making a bad call, he didn't do enough to win, I don't feel bad, end quote. But I realized that in a championship game, shouldn't it be that close? Shouldn't it be so close that, you know, it comes down to one tiny little thing? If the two best teams are playing their hardest, shouldn't it always be super close? It's a tough one. It's kind of a... I, I don't like talking about refs. A lot of people want to blame referees, and I, I'm coming from a place of I lost a really, really big game when I was playing once where we blocked a field goal. They picked it up and ran for a touchdown. It was world's worst, like number one, literally on not top 10 sports center, peed out the butt fumble. Um, and instead of blaming the refs, and that was a bad call or bad communication, which, by the way, the refs were right. But instead of blaming that call, my coach was like, hey, we could have done these like 50 things better and won the game. We made a lot of mistakes along the way. So you can always be better. But when it comes to refs, um, you, you can't please everybody. Like a referee's got a tough job. No matter what call you make at the end of a game, someone's going to be unhappy. But if I was a ref in the Super Bowl, in the NFL playoffs, whatever, and it's hard to be objective here, but if I'm a ref, I'm not throwing a flag unless it's obvious. Like, it's got to be blatant and in-your-face, inexcusable. Like, when the Saints played, gosh, was it the Rams? And they had their running back tackled downfield, and the ref didn't call it. Should have been pass interference, wasn't called, they got screwed over. That's a blatant call you got to throw the flag on. I think in a big moment like that, you, you let people play. You let, be, you let people be a little more physical. You let players get away with a little more, a little tiny bit of a hold here, a little bit of... Because everyone's doing their best and trying to get every edge they can to win. Unless it's obvious you can't throw the flag at the end. But if you throw a flag at the end of a game, it's got to be something that even a team watching, even a fan watching his own team would go, dang, I hate that call, but it is, it is a, that is pass interference. Like we, we can't tackle their receiver. Hey, we can't, you know, a defensive lineman's coming after Patrick Holmes. You can't tackle the guy to the ground if you're an offensive lineman. Things like that. I'm, I'm, I'm all for letting guys play. A little bit of a hold here, a little bit of a, a grab there, this, this and that. But you can't ignore blatant stuff. And in the big miscommunication with NFL refs in the last couple of years has been they're calling plays that are close to penalties or might be technically a penalty. That are just a little bit like, like, let them play a little bit. Unless it's obvious at the end of a game, step back. Don't insert yourself. Don't be a part of it. I don't, I don't want to hear the ref. I want to hear, I want to see the best players making the best play they can to win. And when refs call ticky-tacky penalties, it might technically be a penalty, like by the rule. But it's pretty close and it could have gone either way. It's a bit, it's, it's a bit subjective there. When you got a ref inserting himself at, at the end of a game, it makes me wonder... Did the ref get paid to make that call? We got gambling everywhere. It makes you go a little side-eye like, I, I'm worried about the integrity of the game because I didn't see much of a penalty there and they called it. I, I can't remember what it was, but there was one in the Super Bowl where I was like, really? We're, we're calling that? Unless it's obvious and in your face and yet it's demanding you call it, don't throw the flag there in a big moment. That's my philosophy and... Uh, I wish refs were more like that. Balin writes in. By the way, Balin, uh, I know you live in Oregon. We tried to connect to my road trip and it didn't work. I, I actually got your text. I haven't actually even read it yet, but I, I, I got your text. I love you, man. I've never met Balin in real life, by the way, between you and me, the listener, but message to Balin. My family still lives in the Oregon area, and so I will be back in your area at some point. 
Uh, and I'd love to see you. So like, it'd be, it'd be like, I feel like now we have to meet. We tried. It didn't work. We should, we should definitely meet in the future. And I will drive. I'm not going to say where you live to keep your life private, but I will drive two hours from my hometown where my family lives to go see you. I don't care. I think that'd be fun. Let's go have a, there's some good food in your hometown and it'd be cool to do that. So anyway, Balin says, hi, Zacharoni and cheese. Welcome back. See, that was better than the let's go. I read that better. <laughs> Simple question. I know the Chargers didn't do enough this offseason to win the AFC West. So as long as Patty Mahomes is there, I don't know if they even can. But do you think they did enough to beat the Chiefs even once and make a true playoff run this offseason, especially if Justin Herbert stays healthy? At the very least, hopefully they don't blow any more 27-point leads. <laughs> Laughing emoji. Welcome back. You remember Justin Herbert had a really bad like rib injury last year. That wasn't cool. Um... So let's be clear. I, I like the LA Chargers. They're a good football team. They've got a lot of playmakers. They've got an awesome quarterback. I am a huge fan and believer in Justin Herbert. I like his demeanor. Um, I just, I'm a fan of the guy. Like he, he doesn't care. He just lives his life. And he's a really, really talented football player who works hard and um, hard, hard to not like him. Uh, the Chargers are not going to win their division over Kansas City. It's not going to happen unless like Mahomes gets hurt and is out for the year or something crazy happens. You could beat Kansas City. Definitely, I think that's possible. But when you compare Kansas City to LA, the Chargers, head-to-head, who's got a better coach? Brandon Staley in LA or Andy Reid in Kansas City? Andy Reid's a far, far better head coach. So Casey's got an advantage there. Patrick Mahomes is a better quarterback than Justin Herbert. I love Justin. Mahomes is better. So Casey's got a better coach, a better quarterback. You could argue better playmakers. Um, I I don't know what kind of metric you can think of. If, If someone can think of one, write in, please. But due to my estimation... Maybe maybe they've got a slightly better defensive line in L.A. with the Chargers. But every everything I can think of to measure these two teams against each other. L.A. is pretty good. But Kansas City is just a little better. And I, I'm not trying to hate on anybody, but I don't, I don't see L.A. doing anything to dethrone Kansas City. I like Brandon Staley. Seems like a guy I, whose culture I'd want to play in. Like he treats his players really well and creates a good environment to work. But he's not Andy Reid. Um, and I, there's almost no one as good of a head coach as Andy Reid. Andy Reid is like, I, I put Andy Reid in the same category as Belichick. I, that, that's controversial because Belichick's one way more Super Bowls. But um, Andy Reid is a genius. He treats his players with respect. They love him. I'd rather hang out with Andy Reid than Belichick. Belichick's interesting and nerdy, but Andy Reid's like fun and a genius. And... The Andy Reid coaching tree is insane. Andy Reid is a clear, obvious teacher of football. He creates people that coach under him, learn how to be head coaches, and succeed a lot outside and away from Andy Reid. So I don't, I don't know that there's a future where, as long as Andy Reid's in Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes, <laughs> uh, L.A. can try. Justin Herbert, the Chargers, they can try to win their division. But even if they hire, like, Sean Payton, that's interesting at least. But I think Andy Reid's still a better coach than Sean Payton. I was disappointed that the Chargers kept Brandon Staley. I like him as a person. But I wanted them to go get a big-name, amazing head coach. Like, why don't they roll out the money to pay a ton of money to get the best coach? Dude, pay for Sean McVay. Like, pay for—do something. And they didn't. They won't spend big money on a head coach. And as long as Mahomes and Andy Reid are in Kansas City in that division, you're not going to dethrone them. I just don't, I don't see LA. Maybe LA can still win here and there, but the Chargers, as much as I like them, as good as they are, they're no Kansas City. All right, Jeffrey writes, and Jeffrey says this. This is a pretty recent topic, and I was curious if you've been following any of it. 
What are your thoughts on the Baby Gronk situation? I personally feel like it shows everything wrong with the modern sports world and that the dad needs to let his kid just be a kid. Thanks, as always. Baby Gronk. Um, so I didn't know anything about the situation. Um, I was going to research it, but then I didn't need to because Microphone, um, who is a YouTuber I, I respect, uh, one of his Instagram reels actually showed up on my, my phone. I was like, oh, well, Baby Gronk, let's watch it. Let's, let's do some research right now. Um, and he did a really quick little clip about why Rob Gronkowski is done with Baby Gronk. And basically, it's because Baby Gronk's dad sucks. And he's really pushing this kid into being something he's not. And it's sad and uncomfortable. And I, it made me want to not research any more about Baby Gronk. Like, okay, I already saw enough. I trust Microphone. I don't think he would lie. And he showed a clip even of, like, the dad interacting with the kid. And I was like, ooh, that's really uncomfortable. Okay. And, and you hear the quote, let kids be kids. I understand that. I like that. But even more than that, I believe it's a parent's job to encourage your kids to be curious and try different things. You know, what you don't want is a kid who, who never leaves the room and it's just, and maybe they're in the room doing things they love and they're, they're pursuing their own curiosities and interests on their own. But you want to encourage your kids to pursue the life they want to. Hey, you like computers? Check out computer coding. You like reading? Hey, read, write. Let's get you to book club, whatever you want to do. Like, what your kids want to do, you got to let them go off in the direction they want to go and support them on that journey. That's what I think a good parent does for their children. It looks like Baby Gronk's dad has a plan for the kid and just decided, you're doing all this stuff because I told you so. You're going to be a great football player. And the kid, Baby Gronk, never even seems to have decided he wanted that for himself. Not only is that not going to work, because you're not going to work hard enough on someone else's dream. It just, it takes a lot of work to succeed at any dream. And if you're doing it for another person or for some other reason than you love it and it's your dream, it's not going to work. And... You can't push a kid into making their life into the sole focus if it's something they're not all in on. So not only is he not going to succeed, he's also not allowing this kid to pursue other avenues. What if the kid loves, I don't know, writing? He wants to be a great writer. But his whole life, his dad made him be some sports douche. And so he never got allowed to, you know, pursue his own interests. And then he's 25 and he's like, I don't even know what I want to do with my entire life. I'm lost. I am thankful for all my dad's failures. I love my dad. Um, but he made mistakes like everyone does. My dad always supported me and said, you got to follow your own dreams and your own passion. And he, he's let me do my own thing to a crazy amount where people are like, hey, what is Zach doing? And my dad's like, I'm letting Zach do what he wants to do. I believe in him. I trust him. And my dad always supported me and I'm grateful for that. And it's sad that baby Gronk, this, this character out there, who's a kid, he's a kid. He doesn't have a dad encouraging him to be his own person and pursue, pursue his own interests. My dad has always believed in me, um, sometimes more than even myself at times. And my dad, my, da my dad knows nothing about football. Like, I, I say this lovingly, like, my dad's a fan of football. We watched Tim Tebow as a kid. Like, he was a couch fan, like a normal person. But, you know, when I went to quarterback camps with Trent Dilfer and Sam Darnold and Jordan Palmer, and like, literally, like, Ricky Town is there, a guy committed to USC. Like, there, there's insane quarterbacks everywhere. And all these football dads are lined up, right? And all these dads are talking about cover two and have you taken your son to this? My dad doesn't know any of that. My, my dad's like, I just drove my kid here because he wanted to come to football camp, right? Like, my dad just was happy to support me in doing what I wanted to do. I really believe if I'd wanted to be a saxophone player, my dad would have driven me to saxophone practice. If I wanted to be, I don't know, um... I don't try to, in theater, my dad would have said, I guess I'm going to a bunch of plays because my son likes theater and he's going to do a bunch of, he's going to perform in Romeo and Juliet, right? My parents gave me the freedom to pursue what I was interested in. And it's led to lots of joy for me and, and lots of feeling comfort and love and support. And it's sad to see a dad who isn't allowing his kid to choose his own path and be, a, be himself. 
when there's a podcast that microphone played on this, I watched like a 30 second clip and I felt like I already understood. So that's great content by microphone, the YouTuber. It's a clip of baby Gronk and his dad on a podcast. And his dad's like, Hey, you should say this. He's like, no, 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 come back, say it this way. And then he tells him literally like a scripted line to say it. And you're like, Oh my God, he's not even let his kid think for himself. That's sad. So Jeffrey, that's my thoughts on the baby Gronk situation. Um, Shout out to my dad. You know, my, can I say one more kind note about my dad? Um, you hear like a lot of parents say, it's your job to give your kids roots so they can grow and wings so they can fly. Well, my, my dad, I think is realistic and has humility. He knows that we, we had a, as, as most kids do, like we had a mess up childhood. Um, every parent screws up their kids in some way. And frankly, it's on you, the kid, to overcome what your, the ways your parents screwed you up, not on the parents. You can't blame your parents forever. When you're 35 and you're miserable, it's time to, like, pull up your big boy pants and, and start growing as a human. My dad always says, I gave you roots so you can grow, um, but I broke your wings. So <laughs> you got to fix your own wings so you can learn how to fly yourself. I love that. And my dad always said, if you ever have kids, do a better job than I did. A lot of parents don't have the hum- humility to say that. So I, I'm very grateful for my dad, his support. And watching a situation like Baby Gronk, it makes you sad to see a dad who I think is just, I think he wants good for his kid. That's what's really sad is I don't think he realizes he's being a bad father. He's just misguided. And you're like, oh man, that's heartbreaking. A guy who's so clearly hurting his child and maybe doesn't even realize it. Like that's, that's truly sad. So Guys, I love you. I appreciate you. How long did we go? Dude, every, every episode this week, four episodes this week, just over an hour, like perfect, perfect timing. I love you guys. I appreciate you. Hope you have a great day. And uh, ba-dum-bum, bam, we are done.